guys, the passage for tonight is Luke 1, 5 through 25. Um, feel free to open in your own Bible and read along, or you can read the screen up here. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until that day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my approach among the people. Thanks, Charlotte. Can we make sure that this guy's on? My name is Daniel. I am, let me make sure this is working. We got it. Oh, yeah. Can we give it up for the sound crew and for all those that serve? I just, uh, I'm very grateful. We have, a, we have a few of you are very faithful to serve here and come in every week a little early so that this can run, run as smoothly as possible. Um, my name is Daniel. I am so happy to be, be able to call myself one of your pastors. Um, it, is, it is a joy to get to serve you and to get to open the word tonight. Um, so just, just, wanna, just a quick word about what happened earlier. We, I know... It, there's, there's this weird tension that Christians live in. We live in between like this, this really happy kingdom where we, we've been set free and saved and we're rejoicing and yet we're sorrowful at the same time. So there's like, we're living in this already but not yet. And, and so sometimes, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but um, sometimes God is just going to bring a, ser- a sense of kind of seriousness to the, to the whole meeting and he, he's going to... He, he's going to bring repentance. He's going he's gonna to just, uh, it's going to feel serious by nature. But other times, we're going to feel like an overflowing joy and just an explosion of joy. And, and, and that's a good thing. And I just want to remind you that that's going to gonna come and go for us. And sometimes it's both, and we hope it's both. But that, that was not in my manuscript. I just wanted to say that. Um, all right, I, I got to get my head around this right now. I feel like in, an, in a different place. So let's just pray together and ask God to come. So come, Holy Spirit. We invite you to work, to speak through your word. Thank you for the gospel of Luke. I ask that I would proclaim it clearly and that we would all be changed tonight. Lord, you are a God who hears our prayers and you hear us right now. So, Lord, we are praying because we believe you are eager to work tonight. We are praying for your kingdom to come, for you to drive back forces of darkness and, and bring us into your light. We love you, King Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. How about the fall colors lately, guys? So gorgeous. This week, I was just amazed at, at it when I was uh, yeah, walking up and down the street and, and driving around. 
But I also remembered, um, I also felt uh, like what came to my mind is some of us, when, when seasons change, we actually, we feel a lot of pain. It's not, it's not a happy thing, but it feels like the season has come, like the year has come to a close sooner than we even realized. And for some of us, that, that really is not a good feeling because it's a reminder of all the time that has passed on unanswered prayers. So maybe a friend is, is getting married and, and you've been praying for a long time and it's like, God, why, why them and not me? Maybe somebody, you know, a friend is having another child and you're, you're wondering, Lord God, I, we've been waiting. Maybe, maybe it's, it's an unsaved loved one or friend um, that, that you've been praying for for so long and you're reminded as the time comes and goes, the leaves fall, the winter comes, he's not yet answered my prayer. I'm not yet healed. It's so painful for us. This was true of me in my 20s. Uh, I, was, I was single for, for my 20s. I'm 32 now and, and uh, it's not a very long time, but I... I I remember feeling very tested in this, in this season where I, w- I was very active in ministry and, and uh, felt very fulfilled in life, but sometimes I'd just be totally caught off guard by, by loneliness, just totally caught off guard and, and surprised by it. Um, it, it. It felt like I would go home sometimes and just feel like, I don't, I don't have anybody to rejoice with over the, that victory, I don't, or I don't have somebody to, to mourn with over the sorrows that I'm experiencing. And, and I wonder if some of you feel that way today. I wonder if some of you are, are, are feeling the pain of loss right now and just feeling like, God, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm praying. I'm seeking your face. And it, it hasn't yet come. Like You haven't yet answered the prayer. What do we do in those moments? It's different for all of us. Some of us are prone to self-pity, and it kind of drives us into a place of despair, and we're just kind of like... I. I just kind of have to get away and, and be away from people. Others of us, I think this is more my category, I, I just want to put on a good face and make everybody think that everything's fine. And then others of us, it's just, it takes everything in us to believe that God is good at all. Like we just are, are questioning his character generally. Are you good? Are you just? Do you even hear my prayers? Maybe you're there today and I think that our passage in Luke has something to say for us. Has, has something to, to teach us about what, how to trust God when he says wait. How to patiently trust God when he says wait. This sermon is titled, How to Trust God When He Says Wait. And I, I hope that we can come away with some encouragement today. Last week, Ross introed uh, the book of Luke. Are you guys excited we're going to be in the gospel of Luke? I'm just so excited about it. Um, and and he, what, what we heard is that uh, Luke is, is writing to a new Gentile believer, most likely, and his interest is that this man, Theophilus, would have certainty of the things that have been taught to him. So he went out and actually met with, had coffee with, uh, all the eyewitnesses of these events to hear, are these things true about who Jesus is? And, and he wrote it down for us. He wrote it down for Theophilus. He wrote it to philo- the- philosophers. <laughs> uh, not falafel, not philosophist, but Theophilus. Uh, that we might have certainty. He wrote it to him that he might have certainty. He wrote it for us, for all who would read, that we might have certainty that Jesus is who he says he is. That we would encounter this Jesus and that it would impact our lives. So we be ready and willing to submit everything to him, give everything to him. So it's for us today, even when we're suffering, even when we're waiting for God to fulfill his purposes. It's interesting as you read these narratives, one more comment before we jump into the text. These narratives actually read very similarly to a lot of the Old Testament kind of miracle stories. I mean, think Abraham, Samson, like angels showing up to announce these miraculous births, like 90-year-old Abraham and Sarah. 
they're like, how is this possible? Like, we're, we can't even move. And you're about, I know that's not true. But they, they're going to have babies. And this is the sort of stuff that we're reading. So as we, as we read these narratives, I, I think you should be just, your, your interest should be piqued, just like the people who would have been hearing about these events, because God is at work again. The Holy Spirit is beginning to work in a way that he used to work in the Old Testament. There had been a long period of silence, and he's at work. So let's go ahead and see it for ourselves. Jump into verse 5 with me. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Luke, as a historian, he sets the scene for us, and he says that the events that I'm about to tell you about took place in the days of Herod. A little bit of information about Herod. Herod was a, an interesting fellow. He, he was, whether self-titled or someone else had given him the title, he was, he was called Herod the Great. Herod the Great. He was known for his building projects. In fact, he was responsible for the building of the temple that Jesus would have visited, the temple that he would have cleared, the temple that would have been destroyed in 70 AD. This temple was magnificent, and it had his name all over it. On every one of these humongous stones that made up this temple was engraved Herod the Great. All over the city, you would find Herod's name. He was full of himself. He was also a very suspicious man. He ended up killing his wife and two of his sons because they were, he was afraid that they were going to turn on him. He's also the one that commanded that, that uh, the babies, two years old and younger, in and around Bethlehem would be murdered because he was afraid that Jesus would rise up and take his place. This was a puppet king placed by the Roman emperor, and he thought much of himself, and he made much of himself in this area. Zechariah, on the other hand, he was not somebody that you would consider great. Yes, he was a priest, he, but he was kind of like one of thousands of them. And we're told that Zechariah was, was, and his wife were, were, coming to, uh, to serve in, in this time. And we're, we're told that they're, they're old. <laughs> we're told that, that he's of the division of Abijah. So basically, here's, here's what a, the division of Abijah is. In order to fulfill all the duties of the temple, when the masses would come together to worship, the priesthood was divided into 24 divisions made up of these, these thousands of priests. And they would come two weeks a year to fulfill certain duties and then they would be there for all the other big uh, temple festivities, for Passover, for Pentecost, all the big festivals. So it says that, that he was here because it was turned for, it was turned for his, his division to serve. Now, Zachariah and, his wife, Zachariah and his wife were from a long line of priests. So they, they, they would have been surrounded by the, the, the temple and the sacrifices their entire lives. Then we learn that this couple was, quote, righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. This is important for, for us to see because we, as we look through the narrative, we're going to find that not all the priesthood were, would be defined as righteous and blameless before the Lord. In fact, they were more interested in, in power and prestige, we're going to see, than in true exaltation of God. They are not all righteous, but we're, we're told that Zechariah and Elizabeth are different here. Um, we need to remember that God preserves his own. He preserves people, just like God preserved in the time of Elijah 7,000 who did not bow the knee to Baal. There were these two amongst probably a lot of, it was a pretty broad range of, of people in their in the priesthood, and we're told that these individuals are righteous. They're truly lovers of God. They're not lovers of power or of self, but they are blameless before God. We learn another painful detail about their story. It says that Elizabeth was barren. Elizabeth could not have children. 
This was a big deal in this time for a bunch of reasons, guys. Number one, it would have been flat out dangerous for an elderly couple not to have kids to take care of them. There wasn't a social security system. They didn't have a retirement plan set up. They relied on the kids to take care of them once they grew old. Number two, it would have brought a lot of shame. It would have brought shame to the family because it was believed in that time that if you didn't have kids, that it was the result of sin. It was believed in that time that that you didn't have God's favor because you had sinned against him in some way. Kids were a big deal in this time, and there was a great expectation for the Messiah to come from the offspring of, of one of the children of Israel, and they are not able to have children, and they have great reproach as a result. They have great shame as a result. But we're told very clearly by Luke, it is not a result of sin. Like Job, their suffering was not a result of sin. God had another purpose. God had another purpose for this. So they're advanced in years, and they may have lost all hope that they were going to have children. And yet, God is still saying, these are, pe- these are people that are righteous. Some of you may feel this way today. Some of you might feel like we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for our prayers to be answered. And yet, you're still holding fast to God. You're still trusting Him. This is true of many in Israel, I think, who, who would have felt like, God, are you ever going to fulfill your promises? It's been 400 years. That's what's amazing about this narrative. When we begin to hear about these events unfolding before us, when, when there are prophecies like the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus, it's amazing because it's been hundreds of years since God has spoken. It was actually believed that the Holy Spirit wasn't even present potentially in Israel for, for the last 400 years. The last prophecy was in Malachi. And, and they were waiting. They were waiting. And so people would have been feeling like, God, we're getting trampled on by the Romans. We're getting trampled on by the Greeks, by the Persians. This long line over and over and over again. They're getting trampled on, and they're trying to live righteously, at least some of them. And they're feeling like, God, you're not answering your prayers. Where are you? Let's continue into into the narrative and see what God does. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. This is really kind of amazing, guys. Zechariah would have come up, and he would have been on his duty year after year after year, and his name was never chosen to go into the temple and fulfill one of these duties. This is, according to the custom of the priesthood, basically they would roll a dice, they would cast lots, and say, your turn, you can go in to the temple. And this particular duty to go in and burn incense, it's not like a crazy deal, but it was a big deal. Because you got to go in, not all the way into the Holy of Holies, but just outside of the Holy Holies. Guys, this is the the closest place to God that you can be on earth in this time. And they would come to the altar of incense and they would offer with an instrument. They wouldn't even touch it. They would offer, put the incense on the altar of incense. And as it began to burn, the incense would fill and it would represent the prayers of the people. The priest would then offer prayers to God and then go out and basically bless all the people who would be kneeling and praying at the same time. And Zechariah, all these years, he's never gotten chosen, and this once-in-a-lifetime once opportunity comes up, and they're like, Zechariah, it's you. You get to go in. So Zechariah heads in, and he's, he's standing there before the, the altar of incense. He's offered it, and we don't know exactly what, what Zechariah would have prayed, but, but I can only imagine that it would have been, that two things would have been prayed. God, save Israel. Save Israel from its enemies. And God, please grant me a son. 
This is his one opportunity, perhaps, to be in this, to have this moment there. And he's praying, not only for Israel, but for this personal desire. He's chosen by lot. God is the one who, who, who determines the lot. We can, we can roll the dice, and we think it's all just chance, but, but Proverbs tell us that the lot belongs to the Lord. Or, yeah, the lot belongs to the Lord. Isaiah's or sorry, Zechariah is standing there before the altar of incense and he's offering these prayers and all of a sudden an angel shows up at the right side of the altar and incense. I can just imagine him just kind of like, oh, like stepping back. It says he was terrified. This is like every other angelic encounter in the Bible. People are terrified. They fall to their faces. Sometimes they're tempted to worship them because of their magnificence. And it says that he's terrified of this angel standing there. Fear fell on him. Church, I said it earlier, there's, there's spiritual warfare right now happening in this room. And I just will remind you again, angels and demons are real. Church, what you see is not everything. There is a spiritual realm. There's angels and demons that are, that are fighting, basically, for the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of darkness. I want to share more of that in the, in the midweek podcast, like many, many things I'm not going to be able to get to in this, this sermon, but I just want to leave that with you. Don't gloss over things like this. When you see angels show up in the scripture, just sit there and marvel for a minute. Wow, that's an, that's an angel. <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, unusual. <laughs> so the angel says to the terrified Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been answered. Your wife will bear a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness because he will be great before the Lord. Your prayer has been heard. If any of you are doubting right now that God is hearing your prayers, doubt no more. We hear a message from the throne of God. Gabriel is sent to Zechariah to say, hey, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Church, your prayers are heard. This particular prayer for a son has been heard. If you feel like God doesn't know you, if you feel like God doesn't see you when you're on your knees begging him for that thing, for that need, know that he hears your prayers. Keep praying, church. If the Lord hasn't yet given you that yes, it's for a good purpose. Sometimes the Lord withholds something from us just because it's not good for us. He's a good father, and he doesn't just give us over to any sort of thing that we want. Just like a good parent wouldn't give his kids anything he wanted to eat at any given time of the day, right? That's right, Dale, right? You're not going to do that. He's a good father, and, and if he hasn't said no, then, then he's, he's saying not yet. He's saying wait. If you haven't re received a no or a yes, church, keep on praying. Keep on praying and patiently trusting this God who hears your prayers. Secondly, the angel tells Zechariah that many will rejoice in John because he will be great before the Lord. Listen to me on this. Herod exalted himself as someone who is great. Some of us need a reorienting of our idea of what it means to be great. John would not be, in the world's standard, a great man. He doesn't even live past maybe the age of 30. He lived in obscurity most of his life. He never married. People thought he was wacko. Never wrote a book. He was only famous for a very short amount of time. And a lot of people, most of the famous people, most of the religious leaders did not like him. And he was beheaded by Herod. And yet Jesus says, amongst those born of women, no one is greater Church, the world has a different definition of what is great. 
The world has a different definition than God about what is great. What God says is great is humble submission to Him. What God says is great is holiness unto the Lord. It is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are told, we are told that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his womb. It says, John must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. What's going to set John apart, what's going to make John great, is he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to be great, don't seek charisma, don't seek Fame. Don't, don't try to make yourself something that the world says you should be. If you want to be great, seek to be filled with the Spirit of God. If you want to be great, seek to humbly submit to God. This is what God says makes you great. There's so much in this verse that I can't unpack, so again, I'm going to have to Pitch it to the midweek podcast, so please tune in this week. There's, there's stuff about alcohol I want to talk about. Why, why is the angel saying, you're not going to drink any wine or strong drink? You know, I think there's a lot there. He's also, there's also implications in this passage for, for life in the womb. We're told that, that he would be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. This is crazy. Like, this sounds like John is going to have a relationship with God even in the womb. That says something about what we believe about babies in the womb, doesn't it? There's so much more I want to share, so please, again, tune in. True greatness, church, is to be filled with the Spirit of God and to do His work. Is this your greatest desire? Is your desire that you would be filled with the Spirit? I think this is really important. When we, church, when you pray... When you pray, what, what kind of prayers are you asking? Are your prayers towards making your name great? When, when you're asking for the thing you're asking for today, is it about you? Or are you interested most in God being made great? through your life. What, what do your prayers sound like? Are, are you praying selfishly? Or are you saying, God, if you choose to give me this thing, if you choose to give me a wife, if you choose to give me this job, this money, if you choose to keep my health, if you choose to keep my life, would you work through me so that your name could be exalted? What are your prayers like? Church, Jesus, Jesus wants, God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they want to answer your prayers, but they want to answer your prayers with a, a big fat yes to the things that would bring glory to God. Because when God is glorified, like we get a lot of joy. For those that know that God is ultimate, that He's the source of life, when He is made much of by everyone, we're like, that is very good. I don't want the eyes on me. I don't want the eyes on anybody else. It needs to be on him because he's life, he's goodness, he's joy. This is what our prayers should be, church, to ask for God's name to be great. This is why we ask for more of the Holy Spirit because when we get more of the Holy Spirit, it means that God's name is exalted through us, that he kills the the evil thoughts, the evil desires, and puts us more in, in alignment with what he loves, with what he wants, which is what is going to bring us freedom and joy. He is our maker after all, amen? He knows what we need. We see this even more clearly in verse 16. Look there with me. It says, He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Look at this, guys. John's goal, it says, is, well, I guess he doesn't know it's his goal yet. He's not, gonna, he's not born yet. 
The angel says John's life is going to be about helping others turn. Two times it says he's going to help others turn. Turn to what? Turn to God. One of the, one of the most important things about John, one of the def def defining factors is that he's constantly like, yo, it's not me. It's not me. It's him. It's not me. It's him. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He has come as a forerunner. He's come before the Messiah. And he's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. You guys remember the story of Elijah? He's this crazy guy that like, did, I mean, insane miracles. Like, I love reading about Old Testament prophets. They were the wildest men. God, like, axe heads floats with Elijah. You wrote about that the other day in one of the comments. Like, how is that possible? I have no idea. How does he do that? How do these things happen? Elijah was, was sent and chosen by God to turn the people of Israel away from, from the false gods, from, from Baal. Ahab and Jezebel had misled the people, and there were thousands of priests who were misleading the people to worship Baal. And he comes, and he's like, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Fire falls down from heaven on his altar. He kills all the false priests, all the false prophets, and many turned to him. We're told that this is what John's ministry is going to be like. He's going to come in that same spirit and power. But here's the difference between Elijah and John. Ultimately, people would turn back to the idols. Elijah's ministry was not ultimately successful. But John the Baptist, he was about to point to the very Messiah, to the very God. He was about to show up on the scene. Notice... Uh, I guess I got to go down a little further. I'm getting ahead of myself. This promise is absolutely amazing because it is in fulfillment of a prophecy that was given by Malachi 400 years ago, 400 years before then. Look there with me. It's Malachi. It should be up on the screen. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that awesome? Like, guys, I can read this, and I'm like, how is this possible? 400 years before, he's saying, like, this is the last prophecy. This is the last thing in your Bible, like the Old Testament, that this guy's going to come. And one of the first things we see in the Gospels is this prophecy of this one that's about to show up that's going to be like Elijah. God has a plan, guys. He's not twiddling his thumbs in heaven like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I just really don't know. I'm afraid that they've beat me this time. No, guys, if God is waiting, it's because he's got a plan. We're told that when the fullness of time has come, that that's when Jesus shows up. This is incredible. This is incredible. He has a plan for you. So if you're waiting, if you feel like, God, why aren't you answering your prayer? Where are you? Know that he's, he's working. He's working and you're waiting and he has a plan. And he, is, he plans to work through your prayers even that you're praying right now. It's like incense rising to God, just being collected and, and is coming up to God. Like a sweet sacrifice to him. Notice in our, in our scripture there, it says that he will come. Look at the beginning of, of Malachi, sorry. The beginning of the Malachi there, it says, uh, yeah, there we go. Look at the all caps. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. All caps. All caps there, when you see it in your Bible, it's signifying the divine name, Yahweh. It's signifying God. And Jesus is given the same title, Lord. He's given the title, Lord. When, when the angel is prophesying that, that, uh, that John is going to come in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn people's hearts, to prepare them for, for the Lord, he's saying, it's saying, this is God that you're preparing people for. This is God. Jesus is God. God is about to show up. He is the Messiah. He's about to be God with us. And Elijah is going to point the way to him. Now, this is not what everyone expected. It says right there at the very end, 
before the great and awesome day of the Lord. This whole text is actually situated in judgment language. So a lot of people, including John the Baptist, were surprised when Jesus came with a different sort of kingdom, you know? I can't, again, get into this, but even John the Baptist was, was he stumbled over it. But that's, that's for a future sermon. Let's get back to the, to the narrative. Verse 18, it says, And Zechariah said to the angel, Hey, how shall I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. That sounds like a pretty reasonable question, doesn't it? Like, if you guys are 60, 70, and you're like, Yeah, we haven't had kids for a long time. We're, we know that we're probably not going to have babies anytime soon. Like, it makes sense him to ask this. Mary asks a similar question. We're going to see this next week. She asks, like, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. We see Abraham asking similar questions. So what is it that happens in this situation that he gets such a rebuke from the angel? The problem is he doesn't believe God's words. Let's read verse 19 together. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be filled in their time. The angel's like, yo, I'm, I'm Gabriel, like, I'm an angel, I'm, I'm standing like right in front of the ark here, how much more evidence do you need, like, I've come to give you this message from God, and you're not believing the words. You're not believing the words. There's something unique about Zachariah's heart in this moment that, is, that, is, that God knows. God knows your heart. He knows your heart right now. He knows whether your prayers are in faith. He knows if your prayers are selfish. He knows your heart. And he knows that right now that Zachariah is doubting, that he's not believing and some of us are like this. We keep asking God, God for, for signs. And it's in, it's in unbelief, church. Some of us are, are saying, God, I just need you to show me where the money's going to come from this month. And he's like, just, just wait. Trust me. God, when is, when am I, when is this sin going to be done with? Like, I, I need you to take it away. Why isn't it gone? We doubt God. We, we put, we try to force his hand. We try to, we try to really be in control. But God is saying, I want you to keep on trusting me. Jesus does tell us to keep praying, friends. He, he says to pray that is the perseverant prayer that is heard. He calls us to wait and to trust that he's good, even in this time. I want to challenge you, don't despair if you're if you're feeling if you're feeling like you have been doubting God. If you feel like you're in a time where you're doubting God, friend, I want to just tell you, God hears your prayers. He hears your prayers right now. And he will do what he says. The healing will come. The money will come. The marriage will come. I know that all of you are beginning more and more to say, like, wait, Daniel, does he actually promise that to me? Yes. He just doesn't promise it necessarily now for us. The question for, for us is not if God will fulfill his promises, but when. God promises us that we will have a marriage in the new heavens and the new earth that far exceeds any marriage that you can experience in this life. He promises that we will have all of our needs met. He promises that we will be joyful, no more tears, no more sorrow. God will heal your bodies. He'll give you a new body. And for some of us, he's going to give that healing now. We just heard a testimony about how he healed somebody. So we keep praying. We keep asking. We keep asking the one who said, I'm going to make all things new. But this is what God wants for us. God wants us to trust him. The key is reorienting our desires around the kingdom. That's the key. Church, God does not actually promise 
that we will have the money, the wife, all, all the things that you might want right now in this life. He doesn't. But he does promise that he knows what you need. And he promises that he will give you what you need. That he will sustain you. He promises, he promised that, it, that if we seek first the kingdom and of his righteousness, that everything will be added to us. The problem is, is that some of us have misunderstood what we think we need. Like we, do you, you guys know that some of us have been asking for things that we think we need, but God's like, you really don't need that. You really don't need that, and especially not right now. In, in Luke 18, 8, Jesus calls his disciples to persevere in prayer based on the character of God. We are told, quote, God will give justice speedily to those who call out to him night and day. But Jesus then offers this strange warning. I always thought this was such a strange warning from Jesus. He said, but will the Son of Man find faith on earth when he comes? He's just exhorted us, pray and pray and pray and trust that God is just, that he will give you the thing that you need speedily. He will bring justice speedily. But then he said, will he find faith when he comes? I think this, this says something to us. We are, we're very prone, even as Christians, in our prayers to be praying something, but having very little belief that God is actually going to do it. Having very little belief. It's kind of just, it's just words coming out of our mouth. This is not the kind of prayer that God wants for us. He wants us to, to be praying with faith and belief that God is good, that he's working in this moment. Keep clinging to Jesus, friends. You have to hear this. If you are doubting today and if you are convicted that some of your prayers are just simply not in faith, I just want to remind you that Job was rebuked for, for his lack of faith. Zechariah was rebuked here. Maybe you, some of you are feeling conviction. But God knows your heart. And God is just calling you, hey, just trust me. Trust in Jesus. Jesus never failed. From the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we might read that and think like, oh, he's lost all hope. Like he doesn't trust God right there. But doubtless, guys, he is thinking of the rest of the psalm there. Jesus is pressed to his limits in this moment. And what comes out are not curses, but scripture. What comes out when Jesus is at his worst moment is, oh, God, he groans the psalms. That, that, that psalm goes on to say, why are you so far from saving me? So far from my anguish, from the words of my groaning. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Guys, Jesus understands your pain. He's been there before. He's felt your loneliness. He knows what you're dealing with. The psalm doesn't stop there with that moment of grief. It goes on to exalt in the God who hears prayers. It says this in verse 3. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Do you just hear Jesus would be preaching the gospel to himself? We don't, these are not the words that are recorded. But he's got this psalm just ringing in his ears. And in, in the, up to the very last moment, he's saying, he's in, in conversation with God. Father, forgive them. Oh God, into your hands I commit my spirit. That doesn't sound like a doubting prayer to me. That sounds like a, a man who is totally submitted to God. He's resting in him. This is like a crazy sort of trust. I, I wish I had a stool up here. Ross had this amazing illustration last week. And I'll just act like I have the stool right here. He said... Man, some of us are like standing back and looking at it and saying like, yeah, he's pretty good. He's like, 
He's able to answer prayer. He really is. But we're not actually willing to just get up and sit on it. Some of us even like put our hand on it. We're like, yeah, look, it's pretty strong. Pretty good. (laughs) It's good. But we don't sit on it. And again, I just want to bring this up because this is the kind of faith, this is the kind of certainty that the Lord wants for us, church. He wants us to get up on that thing with our legs crossed with no options. Like, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust you right now. Whatever it is that you're feeling, if, if it is loneliness because you feel like you need to be married, if it is because you feel like God, I want a child. If it is, whatever it is, the healing, why, I could go on and on and list tons of things. Are you willing in your prayers to say, God, even if you don't heal me, I'll trust you that you are good? Are you willing to say, Lord, even if you never give me a spouse, I will trust you? Are you willing to say, if you never give me that job, if I never have the finances that I, that I would want, never have that status, never have that ministry role, Are you really willing to say, you're good, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to be on you alone, and I'm going to trust that you're good. Hebrews tells us that this is what faith is, it's confidence in what we do not see, it's assurance in the things not seen. We hope for it, but we're sure of it. We don't yet have it, but we're absolutely sure of it. What if we prayed like this, church? What if we prayed like this? With this sort of faith, Jesus fulfilled the words of this psalm. He fulfilled the words of Psalm 22, and he put his hope fully in the solid rock of God's character. In Christ, he submitted to his, his, his spirit to trust in God, and it was all for us. In putting his faith in God rather than his circumstances, he was fulfilling all righteousness. He was fulfilling the righteousness that you and I are, are required he was fulfilling it because none of us have, have uh, been perfect in this area. All of us have doubted in the time of trial, right? But Jesus didn't so that we could now, together, church, rest on Jesus who did fulfill it perfectly. This is our confidence. Oh man, I love God's word. Our confidence is in God's character that he is good and faithful. Church, take your eyes off of the circumstance and put it on God. That's where you'll find hope. That's where you'll find joy. So everyone knew something extraordinary happened when Zechariah came out like, (laughs) just freaking out. He can't speak. He's trying to make signs to them. I wish I could have been there to see what that would have looked like. He's trying to mime, and everybody's just like, so he saw something. We're not sure what it was, but they knew he'd seen a vision. We're told then that Zechariah went home with his wife, or I don't know if she was there actually. Probably not. Maybe. <laughs> his duties were complete, and Elizabeth conceived. And it says that they were in seclusion for five months, and Zachariah and Elizabeth were worshiping. It says, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked at me to take away my reproach from among the people. Elizabeth feels the, the joy of God answering her prayer. The joy of God answering her prayer. Some of us need to do the same that Zachariah and Elizabeth have done. We need to go home. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. We need to hear God's promises, hear what I'm saying today, hear, be reminded of the promises, put our faith in God, and get back to work. We need to let our trust in God inform our emotions today. Our trust in God inform our actions today, not our unbelief. Trusting God to fulfill his plan for us looks like joyfully fulfilling God's plan for the world while we wait. Let me say that again. I, I think this is so helpful. Ross was, was, we were talking about this, and this is one of the things he pointed out. Trusting God to fulfill his plan for us looks like us joyfully fulfilling his plan for the world while we wait. This means we engage in disciple making. 
joyfully even as we wait for him to fulfill his plan for us. What good work are you stalling on because you're discouraged about something you've been praying for? Maybe you're saying, when God gives me this, then I'll step into that sort of ministry. When God equips me this way, then I'll do it. When we believe God will come through, we will not carry the burden in the same way. We will not carry it alone. We'll let others in, and we will not let it rule our emotions any longer, but we will rest in the God who sustains us. We will continue to work in the station that God has placed us. We must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Zachariah and Elizabeth waited for much longer than many of us have for our prayers to be answered. And some of us may wait longer than Zachariah and Elizabeth. But the key is to trust in God, to trust in this good, good God. His character has been tested. His character has shown, he has shown us that he is good. Maybe you're here today and you don't believe this story. Luke wrote that you might believe. John the Baptist was sent that we might believe and be pointed. And we're here today. We, one of the reasons we exist as a church is that others would come to believe. That you would come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That you would stop putting your trust on your, yourself. What a heavy burden that is. To try to be something and to, to, to rely on your own strength. God is saying, no, come and rely on me. That's the difference between the world and the church. Our hope is not in our circumstances. We are not hoping in our belongings, in our finances, and even in our own ability, but in a God who makes the lowly great, in a God who rewards those who wait for him. But if you refuse, if you're in this room and you're not a believer, and if you refuse, he's not coming back a second time to extend mercy to you, but to extend judgment. That second coming will not be a pretty one for you. So if you were in sin, if you were refusing to turn to him, I just urge you, turn, turn. We don't know when Jesus will come. Come and find your strength in, in the rock. And Christian, what are you waiting for today? What are you, what are you waiting on God for? I just want to say it one more time. Do not despair or lose heart. If God did not give up, spare his only son, if God did not spare his only son, how much more will he with him Give us all things. Trust in him, God. The Lord is working. Trust in God, church, is what I meant to say. The Lord is working in your sorrow. He's working in your waiting. I just want to call us to trust in him. Patiently trust the God who hears your prayers. Let's pray together.